So we've been talking about uh, uh, how to make better decisions. Have you made any bad decisions in your life? Uh, you know. So how do you how do you make better decisions? Have fewer regrets because bad decisions seem to have a a, a long shelf life. <laughs> in other words, you know, you make you make a good decision. It seems like you know. Okay, but a bad decision seems to linger, and you, it's the consequences. We want less consequences of bad decisions, right? That's what we want. So we're talking about how, so how do we make better decisions? So we're talking about that. So we're, this is the last week in this. We're, we're going to be talking next week about, I'm, I, I'm trying to figure out, you know, it's always fair, what do you title something? Uh, and so next week, we're going we're gonna to talk about, for the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about the things that hold us back or the things that we have to overcome. I, you know, I was, there's something that was so, so uh, the title that comes up in my head is things that go bump in the night. I mean, isn't it amazing, like at about three o'clock in the morning, you can wake up and think about stuff and get it all out of proportion. I mean, when I was a little kid, when, when I was, you know, 18 or 19, I don't know, when I was a little kid, you know, you know, four or five, I can remember laying in my bed and looking in my closet and seeing, I don't know why we didn't shut the closet doors, it'd been a whole lot easier, been a lot less terror in my house, just shut the closet door, but I could see, in, I could always see people, I, it, when I'd get scared at night, I could see people in my closet. My clothes became people. You ever have that ever happen to you? It's totally, I'm totally irrational. You're laying there in bed, you know, and, and, and uh, so, you know, it, I always, always felt great protection by covers, you know, because, you know, bad guys can't get through covers. Uh, so, uh, so, but sometimes I get so scared I would cry out, you, you know, you ever, and I would say that and I would cry out for my dad, uh, because kind of like in our household, if you cried for your mom, you might end up dead. Uh, <laughs> you know, you know, the safe person to cry out for right in your house, the person that you don't wake in the middle of the night. Uh, uh, so we <laughs> cried out, uh, dad, my dad, and he would turn on the light. And when he turned the light, all of a sudden you could see it was nothing to just close. It was not, and all that fear. I mean, you, you had real fear. You were really afraid. And a lot of our fears are like that. A lot, a lot of the things that we feel are like, so we're going to be talking about that for a couple of weeks. Things that go, maybe we'll call it that. It may change it between now and next week, but you know, things that go bump the night. So we've been talking about better decisions for your regrets. So we talked, we talked about asking ourselves five questions to help us make better decisions. So we asked the integrity question. The integrity question is, am I being honest with myself? You know, you're your best salesman. So are you telling yourself the truth? And so often we have to get help. We have to have other people help us. And other people will tell us, hey, that's a stupid thing to do. And you're like, no, I know what I'm doing. And then later you say, man, that was really stupid. Why didn't I, why didn't I listen to my friend? But you, you sold yourself on a, on a bad idea. And so we need, you know, the, the integrity question is we need to be honest with ourselves. We need to be really honest with ourselves. And sometimes it's very difficult because nobody sells us better than ourselves on what we want. When we want something, the salesman never stops. And so it's kind of like, you know, the salesman takes the car. You know, have you ever been to a car lot to buy a car and the salesman takes the car keys and then they won't, you're trying to leave and they won't let you go and you're like, give me my car keys. And so they end up giving you new car keys. So, uh, uh, <laughs> The legacy question, uh, what story do I want to tell? Have you, have you made any mistakes that you wish you could erase and that you wish your kids would never find out about? 
you know. And, and, and sometimes I, I've told my kids about, you know, stupid things that I did, and I, it didn't have the effect that I thought it would have. It was like, oh, cool, I get to do that too? No, no, don't do that. That was stupid, you know. Uh, so the, what legacy do you want to leave? Then the conscience question. In other words, a lot of times when we're in, we're in the process of making decision, we, there's a tension. And, and we're not comfortable. You know, maybe it's a big decision, a job change, buying a house. You know, and in the middle of that, there's this, you don't have a peace about it, or there's this something troubling you. And so you think, well, you know, if there's something troubling, maybe I ought to step back. A lot of times we get in a hurry. We think, i got to do this right now. A lot of times we don't. We can step back and pay attention to the tension that we feel can help us to make better decisions. And then last week, Tim did a great job uh, about the maturity question. What's the wise thing to do? You know, you know <laughs> sometimes it's easy to see what the dumb thing to do is. It's not always to see what the wise thing to do is. So what, we want to do the wise thing. So today we'll talk about... We're going to close it out, this series, with what does love require of me? What does love require? We're all familiar with the golden rule. I, I think you're familiar with the golden rule. And I'm sorry, we may not have everything on the screen because the internet went down today and everything runs on the internet. So we're, our kids' check-in runs on the internet, the, the live broadcast, it's a dead broadcast today, uh, everything runs on the internet. So, you know, we were scrambling before, so if it seems a little chaotic today, uh, Blame Landon Perry. It's his fault. Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. so, so we're all familiar with the golden rule. Everybody familiar with the golden rule? You know, here's what Jesus, Jesus described the golden rule like this. Matthew 7, 12. In everything. There it is. We got it. Okay, cool. All, I said all that for nothing. <laughs> Just erase all that. Treat people the same way you want them to treat you. Well, that, that gains a lot of ground, doesn't it? For this is the law and the prophets. So Jesus is saying, if you, wanna, if you want to sum up all the law and the prophets, you can do it in this, treat people the way you want them to treat you. The golden rule. So this takes care of just about everything. Just treat people the way you want them to treat you. This takes care of virtually everything. In other words, lying, you don't lie to people because you don't want people lying to you. You don't cheat people because... You don't steal from people you, because you don't want people stealing from you. You don't, you don't murder someone because you don't want to be murdered. And you honor people because you want to be honored. In other words, you want to, you want to be, who, who wants to be treated with respect? Everybody wants to be treated with respect. And so we, how do we, so we treat everyone with respect. We should treat everyone with respect because we all want to get respect. And sometimes our culture today will say this. If you say, well, you need to treat them with respect. Well, they, don't des- they haven't earned my respect. Well, neither have you. But we want to, if we, if we treat each other with respect, with honor, so that's the golden rule. But before Jesus was betrayed, uh, on the last night with his disciples, before he went to the cross, he told them, He added to this in John chapter 13, 34, and he said, a new commandment I give you. So he said, okay, now we talked about the law and the prophets being summed up in love your neighbors yourself. So the law and the prophets is summed up in the love your neighbors yourself. He said, now I'm giving you a new commandment. This is the the way I want you to live. 
The law and the prophets is summed up in love your neighbors yourself. He says, but as followers of me, if you love me, I want you to keep my commandments. This is my commandments. This is my commandment. I want you to love one another even as I have loved you. So that you also love one another. I want you to love one another the way that I have loved you. You might call this the platinum rule because it's a little bit better than the golden rule. Jesus is saying, I want you to love each other the way that I love you. Jesus, what's interesting, Jesus didn't hinge this commandment. He didn't say, listen, I want you to love one another because I'm Jesus and I'm the Messiah and I'm God and I'm about to die for you on the cross. So listen, you owe me. He didn't pull the you owe me card. He didn't pull the power cord. Hey, I'm the Messiah, the son of God. You need to listen to me. He didn't pull the power. He said, no, I want you to love one another in the same way that I loved you. And immediately what we would do, you and I would do, we, we, would, we think about the cross. But the cross hasn't happened yet. They haven't even seen that example of love. They haven't seen that incredible example of God leaving his throne in glory for a cradle in the dirt, then giving his life on Calvary. They haven't seen that. They've just seen how he loved them. So I want you to think about that. So each of them have experienced the love of Christ. He said, I want you to, I want you to love each other the way that I loved you. So for each of these guys, each of these disciples, there's a story about how he loved them. And here's example. Think about Matthew. Now, Matthew is a tax collector. We know that. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 9, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting in the tax collector's booth, and he said to him, follow me, and he got up and followed him. Now, he wasn't a bad Jew. He was a horrible Jew. Because he was working for the oppressors, the Romans. He was cashing in on the occupation. He had probably been cast out of his family, or if his, he had probably been forgotten by his family because he had, in a sense, joined with Rome in oppressing. They used taxation. What Rome did, they used taxation to to take away property. Oh, they kind of still do that, don't they? Uh, that's <laughs> we learned it from the Romans. Uh, they use taxation to acquire property. So they're, they're, you know, this is land. This is the land of Israel. So they, they're living on land that they've inherited for generation and generation and generation from their family. And now Rome has come in and Rome is, Rome is, Rome is taking away property and making it property of the state by the way of taxes. And Matthew is a part of that. So Matthew is hated by, he, the tax collectors were just hated. You can see, we see examples of that the tax collectors, they would hang out together. Why would they hang out together? Because nobody else wanted to hang out with them. So the tax collectors would hang out together. They're rejected. Nobody loves them. And yet, <laughs> Jesus says to Matthew, hey, why don't you come and follow me? And Matthew had never experienced just that level of, he had, for a long time, that level of acceptance. 
that Jesus said, come and follow me. So he, there was something about the call. He experienced the love that Jesus loved him in a powerful way. I, I love the story about James and John. It was about James and John remembering how he loved them and accepted them. If you read the story about James and John, it's very interesting. In Mark chapter 3, verse 17, it says, And James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, then in parentheses, to them he gave the name Bonerges, which means sons of thunder. So the nickname Jesus gave them was Hotheads. You bunch of hotheads, hey, James and John, you quit arguing with each other and, you know, have you ever known how brothers can argue with each other? Wow. Can you imagine these two? And then John later, you know, writes in his gospel, John, he describes himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. He's writing in the gospel of John, he writes about himself saying, the disciple whom Jesus loved. So they were saying, even though we were, you know, they were a couple of knuckleheads. They said, yeah, but even though we were young and said stupid things and did stupid things, they were always vying. You'll see, James and John were always vying. Who's going to be greatest in the kingdom of heaven? It's kind of like the equivalent of, are we there yet? In questions, you know, you, you get in the car and you just get to the end of the block and you're like, are we there yet? No, we're not even close. We haven't even stopped to get gas yet. <laughs> are we there yet? And it's kind of the same thing. And so they're saying, you know, so John, then John later in his, in his, in his epistles, he writes about the love of God and loving God and how much God loves you and how much we love God and how much we love each other. And he says, if you don't love your brother who you can see, if you don't, if you don't love your brother who you can see, you don't love God. You're a liar. If you think you love God, but you don't love people around you, then you're a liar. That's pretty, that's kind of sons of thunder language, isn't it? So then think about Peter. You know, Peter's just so famous for just always sticking his foot in his mouth. I mean, he, he just said the thing everybody else was thinking. And several times Jesus, I mean, one time in particular, after Jesus had been transfigured on the, uh, on the mountain, uh, Jesus said, well, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and suffer. And, Jesus, and Peter says, no, you won't. And Jesus turns to Peter and says, well, get behind me, Satan. You don't have any, you're not thinking about the things of God. You're thinking about the things of man. So he, he rebukes him. But, you know, sometimes when you love somebody, you actually, you, correction's a part of love too, isn't it? Discipline is a part of love. So what they had experienced, he said, I want you to love each other the way I've loved you. He said, the way, you, you, you remember how I gave you mercy when you were being boneheaded? Remember how I gave you grace when you made mistakes? And Matthew, you remember when, when I called you from the tax booth, when you were rejected by everybody else, I called you to come and follow me. He said, you remember what I gave you? I gave you love and I gave you mercy and I gave you grace. He said, that's what I want you to do. The way I have loved you, the way I have given you mercy and grace and forgiveness, that's what I want you to do for one another. You know, we all, we'd all like to, you know, 
bring back the days when people were living the Ten Commandments, or when they talked about living the Ten Commandments, because they didn't really. So we think, let's put the Ten Commandments up in every school. You know what would be even better? Let's put the one commandment up. Love one another as I have loved you. Right? So, he says, by this all men will know you're my disciples if you have love one for another. So Jesus, what Jesus is saying, Jesus is deconstructing the law. He's saying, listen guys, uh, he did away with the need for the temple. There's no need for a temple. There's no need for them to rebuild the temple. There's no need, there's no need for them to rebuild the temple in the sacrificial system. Because I don't know if you know who the temple, where the temple is, but you know where the temple is now? It's in you. <laughs> you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. There's no need to rebuild the Holy Temple. There's no need to, to build a temple in Jerusalem so, we can, so they can restart the sacrificial system. He fulfilled the sacrificial system. There is no need for the sacrificial system. It's all been fulfilled in Christ. So Jesus did an end to that. So the true test of being a Jesus, Jesus follower was not doing the rituals, making it to the temple. It's not doing the festivals. It's not bringing a goat to be sacrificed and putting the blood on the altar. It's, he says, if you're going to be a true follower of Christ, the way to do that is to love one another the way I've loved you. Love one another. Put others before you, not last. He said, if you, if you want to change the world, if you want to be dynamic, if you want to see something accomplished, love one another as I have loved you. Authentic Jesus followers don't authenticate their love for God by only looking up. They authenticate their love by looking around. Is there somebody that needs to receive the love of Christ? So, you know. So how do we do that? How do we, how do we love? Well, you know, interestingly enough, there's a scripture that defines love. And it's so, it's so, it's one of those things, 1 Corinthians 13, you know, the love chapter, we've heard it so much that a lot of times when we, when there are familiar scriptures, we just like, okay, well, I've read that, I don't, I don't need that, like I know it already. But since maybe you don't know it, or maybe we're not doing it, maybe we know it, but we're not doing it, because, I mean, it gets me right off the bat. That stuff that I know that I'm not doing. So he says this, 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient. Oh, I'll just leave that alone right there. <laughs> I don't like that. Love is, love is patient, it's, which means it's, it, love requires patience. It's not pushy. I'm just not good at this. Love requires that I move at your pace rather than requiring you move at mine. <laughs> okay. Sorry, I'm just thinking about it. I'm thinking about my impatience <laughs> and how I would have been impatient when I didn't need to be impatient, when I should have been patient. And uh, so love is patient. It, you move the, moving at another person's pace is difficult. Have you ever tried to go on vacation with a group of people? 
like, you know, I'd love to go on vacation with you, but I'm not patient enough to do that. Because we all have our own agenda. But what, what he's saying, love lays down our agenda to take up the other person's agenda. That's tough to do. Love is patient. Love is, love is kind. Boy, kindness is love's response to weakness. Kindness is the choice to loan others our strength rather than remind them of their weaknesses. It's doing for others what they cannot in the moment do for themselves. Boy, we, we need more kindness, don't we? The world is increasingly unkind. The internet is a lot, and social media is allowing people to just blast people without accountability. To just say, you need to be careful about this. To just say mean things to correct, like, like I'm going to bring everybody in line with my thoughts. Just get off social media. It's, yeah, if you're watching, right, you can't, see, so I can say this. If you're watching on Facebook, don't. But it's, it's not on, it's not working, so, yeah. Oh, it is? It's, it's up? Okay. All right. All right. So, if, okay, so let me say, it th- let me just say it this way. Get your lazy butt out of bed and get up here. Have a go. It's, am- it's amazing what you'll say under the anointing. Uh, <laughs> that wasn't very kind, was it? No. See, I'm not good at this. Ain't that the truth? Ain't it the truth? Love is not jealous. Love doesn't brag. It's not arrogant. Which means love requires us to keep envy and pride from interfering with our ability to celebrate the success of others. Can you rejoice with other people's blessings? And like, I don't know. I don't think they can afford that. They probably can, but that's none of your business. You know? I don't know why they're doing that. It's like we've, we're like we've become the judges of everybody. Love's not jealous. It isn't threatened by the success of others. Love requires of us to allow others to shine, to, to, to rejoice. You know, to, I don't want it, to, it's hard for, to, to leave Jim and Sean. You know what I didn't tell you is that uh, Christy Hardy and Donnie Hardy are going to take over for Jim and Shelley's place. So we're excited about that. I didn't tell you that. They, they stayed back there working while uh, Shelley came up here to say goodbye, but they're, they're going to f- take over. So the kids are used to them working back there. So for the kids, it should hopefully not feel like a great loss uh, like it is. Okay. Love isn't jealous. It allows us to ha- allow other people to shine. You know, to rejoice when other people get blessed, when they get to get a new house, they get to get a new car or something. To, to rejoice with them about that. They get a promotion. Somebody at works gets the promotion that you wanted to get. And you think you should have gotten it. Well, going around moping around and pissing and moaning. Can't believe he said that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, who said that? Uh, <laughs> somebody, pray for, somebody pray for that preacher. Uh, <laughs> she is praying for me, believe me. I'll get a whipping later, probably. Uh, now I've lost my train of thought. It's, it's, it's tenuous. It's, it's hanging on a thread. I can't afford to lose it. Uh, uh, <laughs> but you think by you complaining at work about the other person that got the promotion, it's going to help you get a promotion next time. No, it won't. 
It makes it worse. If you get to be known around the offices, oh, man, that person's always complaining. They're not going to want to bless you. So you want to bless those that are moving ahead. Love does not act unbecomingly. What does that mean? It means without honor. What does unbecoming mean? We act without honor. Love never, never treats another person dishonorably, disgracefully, indecently. Love honors other people. It, it, it looks for ways to show respect for other people. We don't demean people. We don't look down on people. We don't judge people and think of people as less than us or not as good as us because, oh, they're not Christians. They don't know what we know. You know what I know because I'm a Christian? I know that I'm a Christian as I'm a vile sinner saved by grace. And it didn't make me better. It didn't make me better. I'm only better because of Jesus. It wasn't because of me. I can't, I can't if I'm taking the credit, I'm missing who should be getting the credit, right? Okay. Love is not, does not act unbecomingly. Love does not seek its own. It's not selfish. It's not self-seeking. It doesn't put, it always puts the needs and interests of others ahead of ours. You know, that right there. You want to solve most marriage problems? Just apply that, just that little verse right there. Just take that little verse out of context, write it on your heart. Love does not seek its own, and you can just about cure every marriage problem. Right. right there. Every counseling that almost virtually every marriage counseling I've ever had to do, if they would just do that, I'm a horrible counselor. Because here's how I counsel. You see what it says here in the Bible? Yeah. Quit being stupid and do that. Yeah, there's a high stupid count today. How many, how many are we up to? Seven stupids. Thank you. The quality of my sermons are determined by how many times I get to say stupid. Sorry. That's eight. Okay. But selfishness is what kills marriages. It kills relationships. The, the, the way you have a great marriage, the only way to have a great marriage is two people unselfishly trying to outserve the other person. And if, if you have that, you virtually have heaven on earth. If two people will say, I love you so much that I'm going to serve you. And it just, it just opens up everything. Okay. I got to finish. Love's not provoked. Love requires us to address our anger privately rather than letting it spill over on people around us. If you got anger, what does it say? So if you got anger, just like if you have impatience, I'm acknowledging my impatience, uh, that often spills over in anger. So impatience often becomes anger. Right? So impatience is not their problem, it's my problem. So in my impatience that's spilling over into anger is not their fault, it's my fault. It's something I need to own. I need to, in other words, I need to acknowledge that I need to work on that. That I need to let Christ work on that in me. I need to recognize that need. Anybody tracking? It's like, it's like deer in headlight looks. Like, not me, Okay. Not, the NIV says not easily angered. Not, in other words, you don't, 
All of us get angry, but we don't need to get angry easily. The message says it doesn't fly off the handle. Love doesn't take into account a wrong suffered, which means you're not keeping track. (laughs) You're not trying to catch people and keep track of their mistakes. We... Logan's not here today because he's got sick kids, but we always joked about one time Logan called, and Logan called, he'll, I'm sure, hope he's watching this, he called and said, uh, I'm just calling to let you know you were wrong. <laughs> just, if you know Logan, that's very, you know, so he would, uh, I'm just calling to let you know you were wrong, so we use that a lot, I'm just calling to let you know you were wrong. Sometimes, sometimes we need to not take account into wrongs, we need to let people we don't, have to, we don't have to be the corrector. Okay. You know. Boy, I want to be the, don't you want to be the corrector? Sometimes we need, to, we still need to just let it go. Love doesn't take into account wrongs. Hey, you didn't do this and you didn't do this. Because everybody falls short. Everybody falls short. Everybody doesn't measure up all the time. And so if, if you... You have to not keep record of wrongs. You have to learn how to forgive, especially in relationships, especially in marriage. You have to learn how to forgive because you're going to mess up and you've got to learn to forgive each other. And the best thing to do is just to forgive it and act like you forgot it. You say, but I didn't forget it. Act like you did. Trick yourself into believing that you forgot it. You know how you do that? You quit talking about it. You quit oh, playing it and playing it and play. Oh, do you remember that time you messed up? No, I don't remember. I've... You forgive and you forget. Okay. Last thing. Love doesn't rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. So what, what is that, what's that saying? That's a lot of verses there. What does it say? It's saying love sees the best in other people. In other words, you're always looking and believing the best. Because the Bible says love covers a multitude of sins. Above all, 1 Peter 4, 8, keep fervent. Keep your love hot. Fervent, on fire. Keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. What are sins? They're shortcomings. Who has them? Everybody. You ever, you ever come to terms of the fact that you realize that you're just there's some that there's a shortcoming in your life and it's hard to see that. And it's great to have people that love you, love. See, I'm hard to live with, but Tina has put up with me for 45 years. Because she loves me. And she's no piece of cake either. (laughs) The reality is we're all imperfect. And we, so what what, what does love do? It covers a multitude of sins. It sees the best. So I, what I would really say is, 
I'm so, I've been so blessed to have her in my life for 45 years. Amen? So, all right. So what does this have to do with decisions? Because I've got to stop. When you make decisions, you want to do the right thing, the wise thing, you know. But a lot of decisions are relationship-oriented. They have to do with your family and your kids. And so what you want to do, you want to make those decisions based on love. You want to do the loving thing. You want to think about what's not what's not what's the selfish thing, not what I want, but what's what's the loving thing? What what's going to be best for them? What's going to be less self-seeking for me and more to build them up and help them? What's going to encourage them? What's going to help them? How how can I be on their side. What's the loving thing to do? And if you'll ask that, it will help us make better decisions. So now you'll never make another bad decision because you've <laughs> had five sermons on it. Okay, let's stand and pray. <laughs> Lord, forgive this preacher. Help me, Lord. Lord, thank you for your grace, your mercy. Help us, Lord, to love the way you've loved us. A world is hurting. It's increasingly spinning out of control. It's not responding much to our commands or to our laws. Maybe it'll respond to your love. Because we did. Lord, help us to love people the way you've loved us. Help us as a church to love the way you've loved. Help us as individuals and people to love the way that you've loved. And if we see stuff in our life that is unloving, our impatience or our unkindness, our judgmentalism, our unforgiveness, Lord, help us to lay that at the foot of the cross and ask for your strength and your help, for the power of the Holy Spirit to come alongside us and change us way before we expect it to change them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I love you.